solution has been at the presidential level, Donald Trump, but I think we're at the beginning of a process, and I call it the democratization of politics, because I think I think the end user, um, the average voter, has, has better access to knowledge and information, and how that all manifests itself over the next five, 10 years, I think that's an opportunity for, for people that believe in liberty and, and limited government and the rule of law to express themselves in the political process like they've never done before. That was Matt Kibbe, President and Director of Free the People, a Liberty nonprofit who we'll be hearing from more later on today. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute. My name is Daniel Jabbar, and I'm stepping in for Mark Vandermoth today. Uh, we have a fine episode for you listeners today. First up, we have Dylan Palman, Research Fellow and Managing Editor of the Journal of Markets and Morality, interviewing the previously mentioned Matt Kibbe. Uh, they'll be talking about political cronyism uh, to sort of preview and highlight the upcoming Acton on Tap that's taking place on November 16th at the New Holland Brewing Company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, for more information on that, head on over to acton.org events. Uh, and I believe uh, those who register uh, also get a, a free drink ticket uh, on Acton. So head on over to actonorg events uh, for more information on that uh, November 16th Acton on Tap. Uh, after that, we have another insightful edition of Upstream with Bruce Edward Walker. He's talking to Miguel Olejo on the film Thank You for Your Service, uh, a great discussion on the depiction of veterans and those who serve after coming home. So... Uh, something you don't want to miss, and uh, some some real revealing stuff in there. Uh, like I said, another quality episode for you folks, so let me get out of the way, and let's get started with Radio Free Act. Well, it is my pleasure to welcome Matt Kibbe, President and Chief Community Organizer at Free the People, an educational nonprofit which exists to turn young people on to the ideas of liberty and a free society. Um, I'm Dylan Pommen, a research fellow at the Acton Institute and managing editor of their Journal of Markets and Morality. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be with you. Um, now, you're going to be talking in a few weeks uh, here in town on the subject of political cronyism. Um, so, like a good academic, I want to just begin by defining our terms. Uh, what is cronyism? Cronyism, for me, is is any time uh, business and government collude either to screw over consumers or to screw over other businesses. Um, it's it's the process of, of insiders gaming the system against the rest of us. Okay, and how does that happen? Well, it's it's about power, and it's about uh, it's it's sort of a chicken and an egg situation. Um, both at the federal, state, and local level, um, governments always tend to get more involved in more things as they get bigger. It's a natural process described by, by public choice economics. Um, and at some point, businessmen, aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, incumbent corporations realize that it's a, it's a better model to use government against their competitors, to, to use government to, to get a leg up, to get a subsidy, and, and it's, it's corrosive because it sort of feeds on itself. And at some point, there's no entrepreneurship anymore. There's just businesses trying to get a seat at the political table. And, and how, how we stop that is, is one, to, to appreciate what it is, but, but, but two, 
Um, as long as government is big, it is going to be reallocating uh, winners and losers, and and we have to limit government if we want to limit cronyism. You mentioned that you know as government grows, there's there's more opportunity, and it's going to get its hands in more and more things, and people are going to see those opportunities. But how exactly do they seize hold of that? Is this through lobbying? Is it through uh, you know, crafting legislation? Is it campaign donations? You know, how do they, you know, aren't there safeguards in place to prevent that from happening? You know, there, there's supposed to be safeguards in place because we have a, a representative democracy and, and uh, uh, republicanism that, that limits the, the power of, of Congress to do such things. But inevitably, it is all of the things that you just mentioned. It's, it's, it's special access to power and it's not just campaign contributions, but but you live in the in the rarefied world. And I'll speak at the federal level, um, which is where I'm based. You live in the rarefied world of Washington D.C., and it's it's amazing to see how few people on the insides really really know what they're doing. And it's not they're very smart people, but they get involved in very complex regulatory issues. They get involved in industries that they don't know anything about. Typical congressional staffers tend to be younger people with with more ambition than than any sort of the specific knowledge that that it would take to really understand the industries that they regulate. And so along comes a lobbyist, and he has model legislation. And this lobbyist, by the way, used to work on Capitol Hill as well, and and now he works for an incumbent industry looking for a favor. Um, it's that process is more insidious than just buying off congressmen and, 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 and selling the rights and regulations to the highest bidder. It's, it's how Washington works. Washington is a cesspool of insiders, and they really can't conceive of what the rest of the world is like because that's not their world. It's interesting you mentioned it. So would you say there's, there's a major factor of incompetence uh, at base, that there's, there's, I don't exactly want to say innocence, but there's, there's a sense in which people need, feel this need to deliver, right? Um, and so they act upon. It. I know, like uh, you know, James Buchanan and others, they talk about how, well, people get elected, and so they feel like, well, I got to have something to show for it if I want to get reelected, so I better craft some kind of law about something. So would you say that that kind of, again, not exactly innocent, but certainly not directly malicious motive is, is feeding into this problem? Yeah, and I think um, um, you, you cite James Buchanan, and, and the basic um, insight of public choice economics is that politicians and bureaucrats and, and the people that work for them are every bit as self-interested as you and I are as we as we try to, to earn a living for our families and we try to further our careers and, and we try to uh, make more money. It's what people do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that process, the problem in government is that the incentives to do all of those things, to, to protect your job, to grow your budget, to, to, to make more money, is at the expense of what potentially is good public policy. Um, because it, it may be the case, and I believe that it is usually the case, that, that the best thing for regulators to do is to first do no harm and to understand just how complicated um, uh, public policy is and, and how complex the economy is, and, and you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Uh, but to say that, to have the head of the FEC come out in public and say, well, you know what, I'm a really smart guy, I worked on Wall Street, but I have no idea 
how to fix with this problem. So I'm going to let the market work through it. That's that's an implausible position for a federal bureaucrat to take because the the inevitable result of that, if he doesn't lose his job, is that his budget is slashed and he and his career bureaucrats that are depending on those jobs lose them. So the incentives are all wrong. And it's not it's not it's not evil big government so much as it is dumb big bureaucracy that that's that's responding to incentives that that have been created by the process. So um, let's get into this in a little more detail. How does cronyism affect just the average citizen? Well, it's it's uh, it's a difference between insiders and outsiders, and and uh, or as public choice economics would call it, uh, concentrated benefits and dispersed costs. If you're an insider, if you're a major corporation, and you you have this incentive to hire all these lobbyists because one regulation in hidden in one piece of appropriations legislation could mean millions and millions and even billions of dollars to your company. So you have a huge incentive to show up and game the system. If that change in public policy uh, is passed and it trickles down to the consumer, the consumer's cost is, is much smaller. So you never, ever see the, the, the customers, the voters, the, we the people, um, they have little incentive to, to show up and, and fight this kind of stuff unless it's on a more principled, that's not the way our government's supposed to work, and I'm, I'm really I'm really frustrated by the gaming of the system. But to have that sort of insider knowledge about some obtuse regulatory um, uh, provision is almost impossible for, for you and I to have. You have to, you have, to have the, the, the special incentive to know and game the system. How would you say public awareness of this problem is? I mean, there was a lot of talk, uh, even from our current president, about D.C. being rigged all through the campaign last year. Um, but I don't feel like the chosen solution is really a solution. I, I don't think that, at least I haven't seen any major uh, improvement happening so is there how do, how do people get beyond a sense of impotence of well we all know that there's a problem there's a swamp in dc but that's just that's just business as business is you know that's just capitalism in the real world um where where's people's source of hope where can we see real improvement well i i, I do take a long-run view and and you know i've in my own uh, life, I've been very involved in uh, in the early days of the, of the Tea Party movement, and and the Ron Paul Liberty movement, and you see, you're seeing the emergence of what I would call broad popular movements that that have a have a very keen understanding of what cronyism is, and and how it works, and, and how the insiders gain the system against the rest of us. Um, candidates like Donald Trump tapped into that. Uh, but so did Bernie Sanders. You know, Bernie Sanders um, would always talk about about crony capitalism and and how how bad that was for the system as a way to to sort of rebrand his version of of democratic socialism. So I I view this all as as a process by which people have better access to information and they're finding out that all of these mythologies we had about good government really really aren't true and. And they're they're frustrated, and they're trying to find solutions for that. You know, right now the solution has been at the presidential level, Donald Trump. But I think we're at the beginning of a process, and I call it the democratization of politics, because I think I think the end user, um, the average voter, has has better access to knowledge and information. 
and how that all manifests itself over the next five, 10 years, I think that's an opportunity for, for people that believe in liberty and, and limited government and the rule of law to express themselves in the political process like they've never done before. But, you know, right now it just looks like chaos to me. <laughs> well, I don't think you're alone in that. Um, so just to kind of close up, have you, what's, what sort of success have you seen as far as reaching out to younger generations? Because I know that's specifically what you're focused on at Free the People. And, um, you know, I always see these statistics carted around about how many millennials voted for Bernie Sanders or how many people on a Gallup poll, uh, young people support socialism and that sort of thing. Um, is this, is this, are they like hardcore, you know, Marxists or is this just a problem of, you know, a lack of education? I think it's, I think it's almost a definitional problem. I think, uh, they're not hardcore Marxists, not at all. And I've, I've looked at a lot of, of research on the subject. Um, a lot of them are sympathetic to the idea of socialism, but the word doesn't mean anything like you and I might think it means because you go on to ask them. And I believe a reason poll asked, well, do you believe that government should own the means of production? And they're like, heck no, that's a stupid idea. So they don't, they, they have a, they have a very different understanding. Socialism to them means, means, um, people cooperating at the local level to solve problems. And that of course you would recognize for you and I is the, is the very definition of, of, of free market entrepreneurship. We believe in local bottom-up um, tapping into the knowledge that each of us has and the, and the abilities we have, but you don't get that with socialism. So I think the, you know this is specifically an audience that, that I'm targeting. I want to talk to, to Bernie Sanders millennials um, because they were very responsive to messages about political cronyism, about um, the collusion of big business and big government. They were they were uh, brought to the streets just like the rest of us with the Wall Street bailout. We have to be talking to them, and we have to appreciate that that the language that we use, the rarefied tribal language of, of free market economics, isn't necessarily how people communicate. Um, so let's let's crowdsource that language. Let's let's talk to these these large audiences that we can reach on Facebook. Um, our videos, and, and we're a tiny little shop, um, our videos in the last 18 months have been viewed 85 million times. And we use, we use a lot of, a lot of those videos are about socialism and the failures of, of, of socialism in history, the devastating human costs of socialism in history. Um, but we also talk about things like, like beer. And I, I, I view the, the current state of, of craft beer as a perfect metaphor for entrepreneurial disruption and the struggles that a small business person has creating something that incumbent, you know, big beer doesn't want you to succeed. Big beer is colluding with big government to game systems of distribution and, and your ability to sell directly to consumers. But if you're young today and you don't love craft beer, there's, there's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> well, certainly as, as a Grand Rapids native, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's a, that's a great place uh, for us to stop. Thank you so much for being with us. And if you'd like to hear more from Matt, um, come to our event, uh, Acting on Tap, November 15, uh, at 6 p.m. at the New Holland Brewery in Grand Rapids, also known as the Knickerbocker. Uh, the lecture will begin at 6.30, and there'll be a Q&A afterwards. You can sign up at actin.org events. And if you do, uh, there's one free drink on the Acton Institute. Um, so, I mean... I, I, 
that's enough to get me to come. <laughs> I could say that. So uh, hopefully I'll see everyone there, all of our listeners, and it'll be great to see Matt there in person. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to this week's segment of Upstream, where we discuss culture, being about politics, and this week we're going to be discussing the movie Thank You for Your Service. And I'm sitting with uh, my good friend, Miguel Alejo, who uh, is a proprietor of fine cigars here in Midland, Michigan, and uh, uh, all-around stand-up guy, but you're also a veteran, so you're, you're well capable of uh, discussing this movie. Uh, how you doing, Miguel? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And well, thank you for uh, supplying me with uh, this fine cigar this morning. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the movie. Uh, you and I just saw it, and um, I think uh, it was a really amazing movie in that it just removed politics from the entire equation to talk about the real world issues of those individuals who have come back from the Middle East, Afghanistan and uh, the issues that they're dealing with. I can say it was, it was actually quite refreshing to see a movie where it wasn't about politics as when it, you know, concerned the military and, you know, it wasn't a bash this, bash that. It was actually more of a let's make awareness that's that's how I almost I, I definitely viewed it that way. I mean, I went through the ringer myself. I waited months for my VA services to come finally kick in. I mean, yes, you get back pay and everything, but what do you do in the meantime? Right. And that's what this movie really covered. I mean, not everybody, you know, everybody's, of course, case is different and everything, but still, there needs to be something. And I think this movie hit on it. it. There needs to be more awareness of when soldiers come back home. There has to be a like a, a time period here where we try to readjust back to reality. Because when you're over there, you're fighting, your reality is completely different than everybody else's reality back home. Right. And when you get home, uh, one of the points that the, the movie made is that... Uh even if you are intact, if you have all four limbs and uh, there's not something immediately recognizably physically wrong with you, PTSD is a very, very real issue that um, goes very wide and very deep among the, the veteran population. And uh, not being a, a veteran myself, uh, I found it very eye-opening and um, I feel somewhat woke in that sensibility now, considering uh, that two prominent Hollywood liberals are, were involved in the movie. Uh, Bruce Springsteen does the, the, the final end song, which is one of his better efforts because it, it really deals with what Springsteen used to deal with so wonderfully, and that is the humanity uh, involved with the individuals who go off and, and fight foreign wars and, and come back to a world that is seemingly indifferent. And Amy Schumer, who uh, does a wonderful job as a war widow. I, I, yeah, I was I, shocked that it was, it was her. To be honest with you, I saw her face and I go, "That's, I think that's Amy Schumer, but I, I, I don't think she would be in a movie like this. And then it, it wasn't until the credits almost hit when I saw her name. 
you know, I was really shocked. And, and I was, like I said, it was a refreshing thing to, to just be able to put awareness out there. This is what I feel like this movie really was about. It wasn't about taking sides left or right or getting center. Getting on a soapbox. City, getting on a soapbox. There was nothing like that. It was literally, it was about the veterans and and getting awareness to the PTSDs and and really just you know the 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 issues that you go through where you, where you said you know if you don't have a visual if you don't have like a limb that's missing i mean they talked about it in the movie you know well i'd rather have my leg blown off than going through this stuff that I got going in my head. Right, and then they make a joke about it. Oh, would that be above the knee or below the knee? Right. And, and I mean, it, it's it's dark humor, but uh, it, the point is well taken. It's it's very well taken because, sad to say, but if that were to happen, that would literally put you at the front of the line. Right. Well, and, and to me, that, that was a... Uh, a metaphorical cue to other war movies dealing with uh, with, with veterans. Uh, the, the gold standard, w- which will always be the best years of our lives, and uh, where one of the uh, characters in the movie has actually lost an arm and is using a, uh, uh, a prosthetic hand to learn how to do things. And uh, actually won an Academy Award for the, his performance, but the uh, that 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 was one of the tips of the hat to to that movie. But there were also tips of the hat to the Deer Hunter. Uh, there was uh, and even Coming Home with uh, Bruce Stern back in the nineteen seventies. And I I think that uh, it was uh, this one stands. Uh, head and shoulders above some, and I, I, I would put it on the same tier as I, I would uh, the best years of our life. And one of the things is it's a lot shorter, but uh, it, it is just an amazing uh, depiction of what families go through trying to understand things that are going to be well beyond their ability to understand. That uh, when you come back from, uh, well, you tell me because you 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 were there. Um, I I sat out all wars, be, you know, largely because of my age and uh, and my my four up status that well, I declared for myself. By the way, it's it's definitely it's definitely a process, you know, um, and and it it never goes away. Uh, it it never goes away. You always you can always try to do better, but. No matter what, it it's always there, you know. Um, it's just almost like it's drilled into your head, you know. The, the things that you did, the things that you saw, the things that you remember hearing from other guys there. I mean, it's... Now, you served in both Iraq and Afghanistan, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. I did uh, surveillance. Mm-hmm. So I flew up in the air and protected the guys below. And... and there, I couldn't be more proud of my job. You know, the the more guys that I talk to, that's you know, that actually know what my job was, I go, thank you so much. And they know other things that we did too. But the the guys that don't know what we did, I don't know. We, I don't know anything about that. Well, 
that's a good thing too <laughs> you know because then we were there and you didn't know that's a good thing too it's kind of like the uh the main character there he he tried to be and i i think i kind of identify with him like um you just try to be a strong willed and you know what i'm okay but let me help my buddy over here let me help him first before it gets to me that's what even though he was not okay even though he wasn't okay right. he still let me let me let me get his his him some help before before me i'll be okay and and honestly one of the big things too is really talking with your family members talking with your friends talking with your buddies that's the biggest thing because you know when that scene when they're at the bar like i i just had to laugh cuz it, it it's like it's like they're in their moment they play their song you know that they they played over you know when they had a f- couple minutes you know overseas you know a little downtime kind of thing and they played their song in in that in that bar and i guarantee you all of them are going what in the heck are these three guys doing what is you know and you get that look but they're in their zone to literally just decompress and forget about the bs that's going on in their lives right. Right, and and then the next morning it it all turns uh, into a, a, another nightmare, a horror show, and uh, it, it it is really a, a very compelling movie. There was a couple of plot points that I thought were just a little uh, overdrawn and uh, somewhat hyperbolated, but. Uh, you know, those kind of serve as MacGuffins just to move the story toward it, its denouement. Correct. So uh, I, I really don't have much of a problem with that. And all told, I just think that it's, it's an incredible public service announcement. And I, I would highly recommend that anybody anybody who has either served or not served or knows somebody who served or uh, regardless of what your, your politics are or what you thought about uh, the, the wars in the Middle East uh, from the last, you know, 15 years or so, to you know, go see this movie and uh, put the politics aside for long enough to grab any veteran that you meet and tell them thank you for your service. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I I, I definitely see this movie like a, as you said as a public service announcement. It's totally that. It's it's a set the politics aside and let's focus on you know I've always said. Don't protest the soldier. You can protest the war, whatever. Just don't protest the soldier. We're there doing our job. We we, we do what we're told, you right. know, and right. that's it. And yeah. under, under under the most grueling and inhumane circumstances imaginable. And 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 then to come home to be, you know, castigated and correct yeah, and spat upon. Yeah. Right. Just for doing your job. Right, and unless you were there, you know, or at least, at least, just understand what that guy went through. You know, that's a lot of people don't. And they just think, oh, politics, politics, but you know, war is bad, and blah 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 blah. And right, exactly, exactly. You know, and many people uh, join the armed services for many, many different reasons. You know, one of them is for security. One is, you know, to uh, you know, yes, that we're signing bonuses and, and what have you, and some of them do it because they they 
genuinely wish to make a career out of it. So uh, for, for, for whatever reason, a, a lot of individuals come back scarred and... You can't see the scars. And you can't see the scars, and you, you need to... And this movie put out exact. I mean, there are these places that they said are legitimate places to that actually help people. I've heard of these places, you know, and it's just, it's like, wow, that's, I know that, I know this, I know that, I know that organization, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, the only thing that I didn't care for too much was the scenes there at the VA. There's a couple of them, like when they're in the waiting room, and it's like it looked like a, a cow herding pasture. Like I've it been looked, to mul- like it looked like the DMV. Yeah, right. And, and I've been to multiple VAs. It's not like that at most places, you know. Especially when you're going in. I mean, but of course, you know, movies. You got to do something to kind of dramatize this the situation right right so i i understood it from that point of view but but uh but but they did hit on points you know where you know oh we're we're in the rears it's going to take you know six to nine months just to get to this you know to your file and blah 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 i went through it myself it took like 10 11 months before mine kicked in and it was like what do you do for the next 10 months you know there's in in the main character he said you know do you think these guys can make it this long right right well and you know regardless of, of what your your again what your politics are or what you think of uh, the the DMV qualities that, of the depiction of the VA hospital and everything one of the things that he did say I mean we, we, we both know that there were problems with the, the VA and uh, when he he tries to cut through the bureaucracy of the situation just saying look they did their jobs. Why don't you do yours? And you know, oftentimes it's be, the reason they, they don't do their jobs is because that they are overwhelmed. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so so many more. I mean, just over flooded the VA system, just completely. And and I understand. And, and you know, you still have to understand that part. But it's like, why does it have to take so long? There's, but now I have actually seen there's actually a streamline from active duty to you know retirement status or separations and all that great stuff i've actually heard of it here within the last even six months right okay well well, let's uh let's sum it up then um we 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 both hit give a a major um digits up for this uh I like to say thumbs up, but I think that's copywritten. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we both agree. We'll give it cigars up. With cigars up, okay. We'll we'll both give it a you know two lit cigars and uh, down smoke down to the nub, and uh, it, I, I think that uh, this is probably one of the the better movies to come out to depict the the uh, experiences of veterans with uh, PTSD, post traumatic stress syndrome, and. Uh, I, I couldn't recommend it more highly enough. I, I think it, it's just I, one, I of the, would, one of those cultural events that uh, come few and far between when it comes to Hollywood making movies that depict controversial wars. I would absolutely agree with you. The way, especially over what's what we've seen the past, you know, couple months, few months since the election, before the election, all the 
BS that we've heard and, and from Hollywood actors and this and that and the other for this movie to come out and really just set everything aside and just focus like honestly it was just it was just a great movie that focused on the issue it didn't try to sway you one way or the other it just focused on an issue which was PTSD and and it showed the the family side showed the soldier side and it, it just really created awareness. It was just great. It really was refreshing to see see something like that. Yeah. So please, Hollywood, please, independent filmmakers, make more movies like this. And uh, yes, there's a, a, a lot of swearing. There's some uh, risque, uh, extra legal activities that, that are depicted in this. Uh, don't let that dissuade you from seeing what I think is a very, very powerful film. Uh, I, I, I would place it above Hurt Locker. I would place it above um, Coming Home. And I, again, I would have to put it on the same level, the same uh, pinnacle of the achievement of the best years of our lives, which depicted veterans from World War II. So um, if you have an opportunity, go see this movie, uh, write letters to the producers, tell Bruce Springsteen he's, he's welcome back with open arms, tell Amy Schumer she's a babe, and we really appreciate uh, her uh, performance in the film and her uh, participation in, in the making of a great non-political film. Yes, I will wholeheartedly agree with you there. Terrific. Miguel Alejo, thank you so much for joining me today. We're speaking to each other at the tobacco shop in Midland, and we'll talk to you on Upstream next week. See you guys. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Radio Free Acton. I'd like to thank our guests, Matt Kivy and Miguel Olejo, for joining us today on the podcast, as well as Dylan Palmer and Bruce Edward Walker for guiding us great discussions. If you're interested in learning more about Acton or know people that should know, please visit acton.org and spread the word about the podcast. Subscribe and comment and let us know what you think. Also, you can shoot us in any questions you'd like answered to rfa at acton.org. Questions can even appear on the podcast. Thanks so much, folks. Till next time, this is Radio Free Acton. Radio Free Acton was produced by Caroline Roberts, sound and editing by Daniel Minjavar.